Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative questions of how politics could appear in our preaching this week. My name's Geoffrey Farrer, and I'm a Methodist minister based in Putney in southwest London. Before I was ordained, I spent 10 years working in the House of Commons as a clerk, and I am committed to connecting how we pray and read our scriptures to how we vote and how we live. Each week, I'm joined by a guest from a different place and space on the pulpit and political landscape. Today, I'm very pleased to introduce David Pickering. David studied environmental science before candidating for the ministry for the United Reformed Church. He has carried his concern for the environment and love of nature through his ministry, helping to develop eco-congregations, and now renamed as Eco-Church, across Great Britain. From 2005 to 2010, he chaired the board of the climate change charity Operation NOAA, and during his recent term as moderator of the National Synod of Scotland, he led the URC to become the first church in Britain to divest its investments in fossil fuels. Since 2020, he has returned to local pastoral ministry, serving suburban churches in West Wickham and Elmer's End in southeast London. So we're both south of the river, other sides of the city. So, David, thank you so much for joining us today. We know that politics in the pulpit can be a bit of a contentious topic, but we also believe that it's essential that the world around us speaks into our churches. When you hear people saying that politics should not form part of our preaching, what's your response? Thanks. Thanks, uh, Jeffrey. It's good to be here. And thank you for your kind introduction. I, I think, first of all, I'd say something about the preacher's job. And for me, our job is to explore three different worlds. It's the world in which the story of the, in the, told in the Bible took place. So, for example, in a gospel, it's the, it's the world Jesus inhabited. That's the first thing. And what, uh, what was the background, what was happening to give a window into uh, his heart, his message and the sense of God with us. Secondly, it's to explore the world of the in, in the case of Jesus, the gospel writer who was um, who was telling the story to ask who were they writing for? What was the context? What was the time? What were the motivations around? And the third is to explore our context, our world, uh, where we are either uh, either or a variety individually as a church, as a local community, as a nation, Great Britain, uh, UK, uh, it, it globally in the world, and to ask the questions, interweaving, what does the Bible say? What is being said? What is God's world, word in the time in which it was set, in the time at which it was written about, and today? So, for example, for example, I don't know about some other preachers, but I found my, I was uh, unusually well prepared in my services and sermons uh, in February last year. But then Putin invaded Russia. And I guess along with many, I had to lay aside what I, sorry, Putin invaded uh, Ukraine. I laid aside the text I had uh, and did a whole new one because that was the most important thing in the world. And it was proper to reflect on it and to say something about it. And when our church, with the energy crisis and the energy uh, price hikes increasing. And when our church committed to uh, opening as warm spaces, not only spoke about warm spaces, but asked for reason why warm spaces are necessary. 
Where is justice in that? So it's kind of the preacher's job. I think the second thing I say is that it's in the DNA of the church I serve. I look this up. We have a foundational document called the Nature, Faith and Order of the United Reformed Church. And this is what we've got to do uh, or what we believe. The highest authority for what we believe and do is God's word in the Bible. We commit ourselves to speak the truth in love. And finally, as another snippet, Christ gives his church a government distinct from the government of the state. In the things that affect obedience to God, the church is not subordinate to the state, but must serve the Lord Jesus Christ, its only head or ruler. Civil authorities are called to serve God's will of justice and peace for all humankind and to respect the rights of conscience and belief. So it's kind of in our DNA. And the third thing I'd say is this. I, I don't know where you get your news from. I quite often read uh, BBC News and they have a little series which comes up every so often uh, called Fact Checks. Have you, have you read the mm, Fact Check? Yeah, yeah. And I have the feeling that our, the preacher's job is to do something similar, but a faith check to weigh up what's happening in the world with uh, the scriptures and what it means for our lives and how we should live our lives as individuals, as a church, and how prophetically we should call uh, our leaders either in support or, or in challenge uh, as to how the, the nation or nations are being led. Yeah. I like that idea. I think we could coin that. I think you could you could uh, you could um, uh, TM that uh, faith check. I think faith I should, check. Yeah. <laughs> I, I shall be borrowing that. <laughs> so um, it, each week, um, before we sort of plunge into the lectionary readings, we just ref, we just mention the some of the highlights of the things that are going on in our world at present, and there's certainly plenty going on. There continues with. Uh, and we've had this week international discussions about how um, how the West should be uh, helping Ukraine, with, specifically with arms and tanks. And today there is another ambulance strike, uh, and we have this background of ongoing industrial disputes in so many sectors. Uh, as a parent, I've just received a letter from our head teacher warning me about imminent strikes at the school and I think there'll be lots of parents suddenly thinking oh crumbs what are we going to do with the children um we are also of course within the church this is the week of prayer for Christian unity so it's lovely that we've got um a representative of arguably the the denomination that's most passionate about Christian unity the United Reformed Church oh, bless you <laughs> um and uh, um on uh, Friday of this week it is Holocaust Memorial Day so with our metaphorical newspapers open in one hand and our Bibles in the other let's tackle our readings and uh, uh, we said earlier David you have picked a very good week because the readings this week almost write themselves I mean Whoever says the lecturer doesn't have a sense of humour, we could or, or a sense of appropriateness. Look this week. So we've got a reading from Micah chapter six, very famous words there. We've got one Corinthians one eighteen to thirty one. We've got Psalm fifteen, and we've got possibly, possibly the most famous passage in the Bible, the Beatitudes from Matthew's Gospel. So before we plunge into the individual ones. And, and this might help preachers everywhere, because this is what you're always looking for. You're always saying, "What? Where, how on earth do these work together? And sometimes the answer yeah. is, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but is there any overarching theme or connection for you with these readings, David? Well, I think so. I, I, I picked out 
one or two or three, I think, really. Uh, mm. Firstly, there's something about mountains. Uh, there's, uh, there's the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Psalm, when we get to it, we'll find they're going up the holy mountain, i.e. going up, up to Jerusalem. And I don't know about you when you've uh, when you've gone up, a, if you've walked up a hill or walked up a mountain, but you kind of do it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, head down. Uh, and you kind of just see you're, you're looking where your feet are going. So you don't trip, trip on the rocks or whatever in front of you. So you don't stumble and fall. But when you get to the top, it's entirely different. A whole new panorama opens up. It's a, a bigger vista. It's kind of a bigger vista in time and space. And it allows you to see in a different way. Uh, so, for example, I wonder if during the 1960s, early 60s, the big questions were around Nelson Mandela. Uh, was he more terrorist or freedom fighter? And now with the view of history, the big panoply of time and space, I mean, the world would judge him in a very different way, would say the same about Martin Luther King. Uh, mm. You know, it, and, and there's something about being able to step back and the mountain view. And I think when we get to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus just gives us this big picture in time and space um, motif. Uh, so that's that sense of perspective. Absolutely. And I, and I think yeah. it's partly the preacher's job to actually step back from the media, you know, from that what's, a, yeah. what's tripping you up in front of you and to give that big picture uh, and draw on the big picture panoply, which is, which is for text. And as you say, I mean, wonderfully rich text to go mm. with this week so going up a mountain and, and the vision uh, which mm. you get uh, the second is something about again with the mountain that they they each have a sense of the presence of god uh we they, for anyone who's ever been up a mountain you you can feel something of, of beyond uh for Jewish people, of course, for the psalmist going up to uh, going up to the mountain, we'll get to Psalm 15, perhaps, you know, likely a pilgrimage, going up to the very chicane of the presence of God. And in the in the in the Sermon on the Mount, it's kind of the same. And it's going up a mountain. It, it evokes that, that, that amazing presence of God that Moses had on Sinai in the past. And just is for a question now, is, is Matthew telling us it, we're not just going up into a mountain into sort of meeting God beyond, but there's a sense of this is an epiphany, a, a, a peeling back of just who Christ is. And thus his words are truly of God. And so that's the, the second thing. It's something about uh, and in that sense, it, it pointing to Christ as king. So it's something about the presence of God, but a, a holy word. A third link in the in the, um, in the readings is I think they're all pretty countercultural. Uh, the Bible is countercultural, but I think all the readings are powerfully countercultural. Uh, the Beatitudes are so alien in a way to, to some, so much of the way the world thinks uh, to the secular values of the world that open up you might say a bunch of kingdom values, which itself draw on the rich history, uh, the, the rich scriptural history. Uh, likewise, Paul, he conveys something utterly countercultural in in, in an opening up or peeling back a, an understanding of a cross as as foolish uh, to the Greeks, a sort of a failed project. 
Uh, so there's something which links through into the world about being countercultural and how, as Christians, in our discipleship as churches, it's part of our job to be that countercultural, to be less establishment and more movement. Uh, well, David, I think, thank you very much. I think there's lots of preachers out there saying, well, that, that's Sunday sermon done. So thank you very much. <laughs> that's help, really helpful. I love that. The, the 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 theme the theme I was I think I might go for on Sundays I I might yeah. go, I think I might go revolution that's what I was revolution thinking. revolution yeah. the idea and you know that wonderful idea in the Beatitudes of the rich becoming the it is the poor who become rich and yeah. the, it's like that idea that's what I was going with but I think I, I like the idea of the mountains and the, and the perspective as well the perspective of God and we've spoken before in the first session in this series about one of the struggles within politics is to have that long-term vision. Yeah, You know, a week is a long time in politics, <laughs> uh, which is a very true thing. And in so many times people, we, we see, I think, one of the challenges this government is facing is that they know they've got two years. Yeah. yeah. If, if they're lucky, some might say, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and, and, they, and they've got to get to the end of the news cycle. They've got to get to the end of the week. And the challenges we are facing nationally and internationally are very long and 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 i think the environmental crisis which we'll talk about and john we've referred to already is the classic example of that it's got to be a long-term solution so sure. let's plunge into where would you like to start uh well should we start with micah micah now i'm going to say something to you um david here yeah micah of course we look at it and it's a wonderful gift and perhaps it's true of the beatitudes these are some of the most familiar words in the Bible, and they have been used and used and reused. How do we retain the freshness, do you think? How do we get a fresh perspective on this? Can we? Boy. <laughs> Sorry, I should, that's David. I should have warned you about that question. But I was just thinking it myself because I think I've seen these, you know, those words about walking humbly with your God. Yeah. So many. What? How can we sort of, do you think, is, is there a way of sort of, making them how would you make them come alive today do you think i i think i'd probably start with actually going back to micah himself and setting the mm. scene and, and helping people to understand that uh micah was uh in a position he was contemporary with isaiah but outside jerusalem pre-exile a bunch of kingly leaders and other movers and shakers who were kind of ignoring God's word for teaching the one who the one who had guided them to the promised land with so much uh, through Moses through Miriam through Aaron uh, who gave them a set of, of rules of guidelines to live by and yet they were throwing them out the water uh, and Michael was actually preaching outside Jerusalem but looking into Jerusalem and he was lamenting the failure of, you might say, of justice, of kindness, of humility amongst Jerusalem's ruling set. And that speaks powerfully today, doesn't it? Um, mm. and, he's, uh, and I'll say a bit more in terms of context for today. But Micah's complaint is essentially, is this how you repay the saving acts of God? And kind of just, you know, do so with uh, extravagant worship or financial payments. You might say bungs almost is where actually what God requires is to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with God. And Micah wraps this all up in a 
in a courtroom setting. Uh, I think we've, as you introduced, you know, what, what do we look at our, our political leaders? Joe Biden, who's yet more documents have, have been found. Is he, is he hapless or, or, or careless? Uh, I, I don't know what we think about Rishi Sunak and uh, Seatbelt Gate, but there is something, it's unfortunate, but there is something about leaders taking care to rise above themselves. But the two big ones really are, well, it's fine if you're if you have rich and powerful friends, but if it appears you've used the, your rich and powerful friends for your advantage, and there's questions about a loan or loan facility, and there's questions about how somebody became chair of you know an institution, the BBC in Britain, it kind of smells off. And here we've got this, one sort of at the top of the news today. That, that when uh, Nadine Sahawi was Chancellor of the Exchequer, he realised, seemingly, that he had to settle something, and he did settle it, seemingly, so we're told. Uh, but he did so involving a significant fine uh, and didn't tell anyone. And it has that whiff of kind of, it's one rule for us and one rule for others, and we're not in it together. And, you know, I think that's what Michael was getting at. That's exactly what Michael was getting at. And to explore the text from yesterday, which is kind of, you might say, harmless, because we don't know the people, it's so far away and it feels kind of apolitical, but actually reflect it back today uh, and ask, where is justice? Where is, where, where, uh, where is kindness? But if there's one, I don't know if it's a good story, but there's so much goodness in it, which is, which is that this week we've also been reminded of a very different way of, of, of acting as a political leader. We have to go to, to the other side of the world, uh, to Jacinda Ahern, mm. and she has been widely lauded for uh, serving with humility, with kindness, with compassion. And you know, when she made the mistake, and we're all human, and she made some mistakes, she was honest enough to say sorry and not fudge it. Uh, I think it's a tragedy that, in her words, she's run out of gas in a tank. It's a tragedy that appears she was bullied out of that role. Mm. But I hope the example of her leadership can be the example, you know, can serve well and inspire others uh, to see that there's a different way of leading and it doesn't have to be uh, by soundbite and skin of pants. Yes. And I think. And I think what's interesting is we've seen this in Britain, that across the political divide, we have seen politicians expressing grave concern about the abuse that politicians are receiving, the threats they're getting. Again, across the political divide, particularly women. Yes. And this is something where you know, the, the church can speak very clearly because it's not a party political issue and say yeah. that is just completely wrong. And I think the real danger with that, many dangers, many things about it that are just fundamentally wrong and sinful, but is that you drive out people who who could be, who would be good leaders. And we've seen this time and again in this country and elsewhere, people with skills and talents and who should be leading saying, I'm not going into that bear pit. I'm not going to that. And then the wrong people 
I should say people like <laughs> we we're naming names, people like President Trump in yeah, who have got who don't care and who don't care about the truth and everything, who just plow on. And I think that's something we should be very concerned about. Let's press on and and lots of these issues are coming up time and again in our readings. Where would you like to go next, David? Always through the psalm. Uh, yeah. mm -hmm. Group of pilgrims going up to Jerusalem, seeking guidance on actually who is permitted to go into the Holy of Holies, who's permitted mm. to enter the temple. And the psalm, will, you can do, people will read the passage themselves, but it opens saying what they should do, be blameless, do right, mm. speak truth from the heart, and then what they shouldn't, slander, do evil scapegoat your neighbour uh, who stands by their oath. You shouldn't lend an, an interest. I think for that, we're, we'll see, we're, we'll talk about extortion. You shouldn't extort mm. money. You shouldn't take a bribe. This, for me, feels a, a bit like a sort of a psalmic version of the Ten Commandments, a basic set of tenets for life. And it's not so much about who can go and worship God, not so much about religious issues per se in the sort of a rules based uh, in, in how we operate as churches, but really it's a bigger picture one. It's about how I live and how I behave in the world. And it's for me as a preacher to say, you know, it's, it's how I live, but also about how we expect others to live. Uh, and particularly those who have responsibility, who serve office. And if we go back to our previous conversation uh, about British politics, I think there's a tragedy that trust in politicians has been so eroded. And that when we get a government spokesperson unnamed saying, and the government says, there can be an almost default to, I don't believe that. And we've lost something precious in politics, because uh, it is precious, it is important, uh, and we so need integrity. And I think the psalm is 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 speaking that along along with along with Micah is speaking about the importance of integrity. So it's very much interwoven. Yes. Let's press on. And if we can do Corinthians, then we'll do something we haven't done this season, which we'll we will have made it to the other New Testament reading. Oh, well, we failed <laughs> miserably. And what's interesting about uh, this conversation, these conversations for me is how it is the prophets who, when we're thinking about politics in the pulpit, who seem to speak most eloquently. I mean, Isaiah, you could just transposed yeah. to the 21st century yeah, yeah, without yeah. any difficulty but we've struggled with the epistles so let's just have a quick glance at um 1 corinthians 1 18 to 31 and here paul is speaking about christ the power and the wisdom of god i go to the setting uh paul is writing to corinth a cosmopolitan worldly place of well the church is we have the picture of a church it's really fledgling it's just or so old and um, they don't have the gospels that we have they're grappling with how to be christian how to be part of this movement and they've got a couple a few challenges around their relationship with the synagogue who they've kind of come out of uh, their relationship in the roman world where uh, they continue to face persecution and threat and more so because they're kind of associated with this troublemaker who they thought was dispatched in, in Jerusalem. And then their 
own sense of unease and tension within their church community about exactly what all this means. And so Paul pops his, his, his uh, epistle into that, into that pot and he's seeking, I think, to, to give some teaching, some guidance and an assurance. And at the heart of this passage is the question, how do we view the cross? And kind of the world might see, well, it was a really bad plan that ended in failure mm. because that's what happened. And the religious dreamer might say, well, I feel really uncomfortable about a plan which seemingly is predicated on, on violence. Mm. Uh, where's God's purpose in that? And in each, actually, it's to kind of judge the cross or view the cross in a way that the world might do it, this this, this place around uh, Corinth, the community. And Paul says, he says, it, you know, but what's foolish and weak to some is actually something of wisdom and goodness. Uh, he's, he's pointing to perhaps how Christ, we might say, is living out something of the summary of that famous, of, of that verse from Micah. To, to do justice, to walk kind, kind to uh, humbly, uh, to show mm. kindness. And it's as if Jesus is breaking an age-old cycle of power and violence to show a new path in the world. It, it, it's as if Jesus is, the kingdom is coming, mm. but it's starting here and now. It's starting in this moment. Uh, and it ain't going to be easy, but it's a new and refreshing path and a different take for the world. So really countercultural. And you can apply that to so much of what's in the news and what's happening. Um, so that's that's, that's something. And that, and that idea of, again, and we'll come, perhaps go, could we come on to the Beatitudes next? The idea of that of that that turning around that the foolish are in fact wise and the wise are foolish and again I think there's something important in politics sometimes about sometimes in politics you need and some of the best politicians are those who come in and say okay I'm not an expert on this I've not spent my life studying this what difference is it going to make to Mrs Miggins in my constituency who's in a council flat with two kids you know what those simple questions and, and and that sort of that approach of those who are living at the coalface often can be wiser than the wisdom of the wise. So there's so much there. But let's I think perhaps everything we've been trying to say um, will be wrapped up in the beautiful words of the Beatitudes. And that brings together so much of what I think you've been saying this morning, David. What what would you and again, the challenge, very similar challenge with Micah. How do we what, what what's how do we make these words come alive again? Or do we need to do anything? Do we just rely on the Holy Spirit, perhaps? I, I think I'd like to, you know, I'd suggest a preacher might explore one or two of or three of the Beatitudes, perhaps set the scene, first of all. Um, mm. But I I think these are truly countercultural. Tom Wright said something about them. It's it's to live in the present in, in a sense that uh but we're also in God's promised future. Um, uh, URC Minister Brian Wren, you might know his, him. There's a spirit in the air, yes. and it has a it has a line in it: "God in Christ has come to stay, 
live tomorrow's life today. And I think there's a something mm. about the Beatitudes, which is truly about living tomorrow's life today. Um, a little word on the word, some on your Bible translations. Some have blessed, some have happy, and some like one and not the other. What what are we saying there? There's something about um, deep contentment, which is not happy, but goes much more than that and favoured by God. And it's more than that, too. But it's something about blessed being a deep contentment, an inner peace, a sense of with God and a sense of God with you. Uh, whatever's happening in the world, whatever afflicts you, which can help you. I don't, I'm absolutely not wanting to lord suffering, uh, but to rise above the ways of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, a little look at the setting. Uh, it tells us at the beginning that Jesus went up the hill and there were two bunches of people there. Uh, there were disciples, which are kind of those who had already, they'd already made the sort of commitment that were setting out on their journey. And there were the crowd. What do we call those? Uh, curious, spiritually hungry, seeking or whatever. And I wonder if sometimes we feel in the crowd and sometimes we think feel about discipleship. But the whole passage, the whole Sermon on the Mount, really, feels like an invitation to either continue the journey or join the journey. It, it's kind of an exploratory thing. So that's that's a little bit of background to say. And the final thing in terms of background really is, this was written by Matthew. It was written post AD destruction of the temple, still early days of the movement. Trauma and uncertainty and fear abounded. And there's something about Matthew wanting to reassure those people, his audience, the people reading it, the fledgling Christians, uh, about to give a new perspective, a new orientation from that way of the world. And in that sense, the message is as is as contemporary as ever. And it's no wonder it. Um, well, I think Mahatma Gandhi said something. It was one of the most that the Sermon on the Mount was the most influential text he'd ever read. And if if it, if the Christianity was just was just boiled down to the Beatitudes, he'd be a Christian. If that's, mm. you know, something like that. It was a big influence on Martin Luther King. And it's a big influence, I'm sure, on just many, many regular folk in your church, my church. Yes. Um, and we spoke earlier, because we haven't got too much more time, but yep. about that idea. I, I like the idea of focusing in on one or two. Mm. And we mentioned earlier that the classic line, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And to open up a huge can of worms at this stage, we were just you were mentioning earlier about talking about politics and the pulpit, about what what sort of response do we make as Christians to the conference that's been taking place this week where everybody's been saying we need to send tanks to Ukraine. Tanks are tanks are tanks are, are the instruments of justice yeah. and peace, we might say. How how on earth can we respond to that as Christians? I guess there's an age-old debate within the church, mm. and there, there is no one answer, but perhaps the preacher's job is to open up, unveil possible mm. approaches. And on the one hand, there's the just war, mm. and on the other hand, there's pacifism. 
or perhaps a more 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 than just pacifism an active way of engendering peace and by peace in biblical terms that's not just an absence of war but it's a fostering of reconciliation it's about healing it's about bringing about harmony going back to the text i think it's appropriate to explore it a bit more Mm. But of course, in Matthew's time, in Jesus's time, uh, the peace was held by something called the Pax Romana. Uh, this was Rome's peace. It was brought about by rule, force, law, threat. We might say the ways of empire, mm. which is what actually we are seeing being played out on our news screens and what the people of Ukraine and in many ways, of course, many of the ordinary people in Russia having to grapple with and we should also recognize that we in the west are part of another empire in that sense and the question for the preacher for the you know for us to explore is what is the way to peace the peace which is for shalom uh, or perhaps actually it's not what is the way but the way is peace and how does that inform a response to Putin's uh, invasion of Russia? Uh, how, how are we called uh, to both... I, to ex to, I can understand people wanting to um, promote the just war and send tanks, mm. but is there another way that the church, that Christians can also be active? Uh, it might be. And I look, we are part of a global family. There are Christians on each side. Uh, mm. How can we engage with the church in Russia and the church in Ukraine uh, who, uh, who minister and serve to the people and just and ask, is there another perspective on, on this? What is happening? Where is the avenue to the peace of Christ? Yeah. And I think to say you know, these are incredibly difficult issues. Um, but again, coming back to the Micah reading and the prophets, we see that peace and justice always march hand in hand mm -hmm. and you cannot have one without the other. And so many parts of our world and in so much history, we I think of um, one of my, I think it's Jeremiah says, how can you say, and Isaiah, I think we find it in two places in the scriptures. How can you say peace, peace when there is no peace? And too often we have said peace, peace and pretended, but there is no peace because there is no justice. And that's what this wonderful phrase, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God, mm. gives an alternative perspective, an alter a different way of being peace. And we have to grapple with that, uh, with that beatitude and ask, what does it mean today in the context, whether whether it's Ukraine and Russia or whether it's relations in a family or difficulties in the church or uh, issues mm. in uh, issues in the community which we serve? Yes. And I think before we close today, I would just um, we just perhaps may want to mention um, Holocaust Memorial Day on Friday, because, of course, half of the scriptures that we have been studying today um, are Hebrew scriptures? They come from the Jewish prophets, uh, the Jewish um, the Jewish uh, scripts that we, scriptures which we share. Um, I have been 
very struck in the last few weeks. Um, it's been hard watching, but I would commend to everybody the documentary on the BBC, The US and the Holocaust, um, which is an outstanding documentary, absolutely compelling. And what, although it's focusing on the US's response to the Holocaust, I'm afraid no nation, no peoples are left unjudged and it shows how that issue was so diffuse and how it grew out of injustice across the world um and i, I think again that the idea of the long-term view i i would commend theological reflection on that on that documentary especially at this time did you want to add anything david on that point i think there's something about the Holocaust Memorial. It is a date in the year, but it is the opportunity it, to tell the stories uh, uh, and to tell it as it is, because if we forget the stories, uh, we lose something that's truly, we, we lose something that's precious about ourselves as, humanity, as humans who care. Mm -hmm. The story is both of the Holocaust, uh, it's a Cambodia under Pol Pot, it's about Rwanda, in the mid nineties, it's about Bosnia. It's about particularly Srebrenica. It's about Darfur. And when I give that awful litany, mm. it's also a reminder that holocausts, persecutions of, of people uh, live on. They have continued and we need to be aware of it and tell the story so that we can look around and check that actually, is this happening today? Are we part of it? Where where, where the victims? Uh, I guess there's some concern about what's happening to the people of Ukraine. Mm. And where does, where does what Putin is doing become one enormous war crime? And and the, and the Rohingya in Myanmar. A absolutely, absolutely. And I think there's a sort of there's a sort of the moral uh, is that again we come back to Micah that if we do not if justice is denied to anybody, then justice is there is no justice for anyone. Absolutely. And so, well, David, I think I think that's been such a really interesting conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today and for all your you for work and preparation. And I've certainly gone away. I can now go and write my uh, service and my sermon for uh, Sunday very easily now. Um, and thank you to everyone for joining us uh, and, uh, and 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 for being part of this conversation. If you've enjoyed this episode of Politics in the Pulpit, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share this episode with your friends. We also have online spaces for further engagement and discussion about faith and politics on Twitter at pulpit underscore politics or using the hashtag politics in the pulpit. We also have a Facebook group which you can access through the Joint Public Issues Team's Facebook page and the website jpit.uk, that's jpit.uk. So we'd like to leave you perhaps with that question as we go into this week. How can we do justice, love kindness and walk humbly with our God in our own places and conflicts? And I'd like to leave us with a blessing today, as is usual. And I'd like to use words from the uh, order of service for the week of prayer for Christian unity, uh, which this year focuses uh, thinks uh, is, is reflecting on the themes of how we practice justice 
in unity. And the recommended service closes with a Franciscan benediction, which I think is quite appropriate for us. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths and superficial relationships, so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression and exploitation of people, so that you may work for justice, freedom and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, hunger and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done to bring justice and kindness to all people. Amen. God bless, and I will see you next week. Thank Bye -bye. you, Jeffrey.